A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 14 through 30. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person." And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. The word of the Lord. I want to give you a brief 30-second summary of this message today from Mark chapter 7 in this strange text. Mark chapter 7 should be beloved by middle schoolers everywhere (laughs) because it begins with Jesus in the first 13 verses telling people not to worry about washing their hands. And then... It gives some bathroom analogies, right? And then it lists PG-13 topics not appropriate for polite conversation. Jesus even uses an insult still used in the Middle East today when he calls someone a dog. This dog says, fine, but I am a dog, but comes to Jesus in his own words and receives Mercy. And even ends the end of this chapter with Jesus spitting to heal a guy. Now, how did people respond by the end of this chapter? The scripture says, they were all astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. Now, out of context... Out of context, this is one of those chapters that can be hard to understand here in the Gospel of Mark. A reading of it you might actually hear by someone against Christianity on YouTube, from someone accusing Jesus and Christians today of being out of touch in 2024. 
But then there might be progressive Christians among us who think, well, this text must mean that the law is no longer with meaning. Or then there might be those uh, Christians who read this passage and think it's only about building walls to protect us from the evil out there. But then they'd all be missing the point because in context, it explains the reality of the human condition. It explains the purpose or what we often say in Lutheran theology is uses of the law. When they observe Jesus and and all that he's done, we see that he is showing us that it's Jesus, God himself showing us what the purpose of the law is and reveals that what he's done is come to bring mercy. So let's dig into this complicated chapter. In the first 13 verses, the preceding the verses that we read today, Jesus surprises the inquisitive Pharisees uh, with his answer when they wonder why his disciples aren't practicing the ceremonial washing of hands as the law described. And they were shocked by his answer. You see, they understood, as Stephen Paulson, a, a, a biblical scholar, will point out, that the law is there as a wall to protect us uh, from keeping us from being in the presence of God. That was the purpose of those ceremonial duties, to stay clean and be in the presence of God. But Jesus shocks them when he says it's, it won't do. In fact, you can understand why they thought that, but it's not that they were completely wrong. They were only partly right. They were incomplete. Jesus explains that those ceremonies will not accomplish the heart transformation that is needed. We aren't just to build walls against the law, though we should do that as we protect our children, right? And, uh, and protect them from harm. But we also are called to deal with what's on the other side of the wall, in our hearts. What's going on in our hearts? In fact, today when we hear about someone breaking God's standards, or as one pastor pointed out, someone just walking away from the church uh, entirely, uh, we might say, yeah, but that person's got a good heart. That person's got a good heart. And what is even further difficult to understand and receive is Jesus is saying the opposite. No, they don't. No, we don't. In fact, Eugene Peterson will put it like this, that every congregation is a congregation of sinners. And as if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners for pastors, right? That is the condition of our hearts. Our hearts have been corrupted by sin. And Jesus shows us that the law is actually revealing this in our hearts. It's another use of the law that we'll dig into further. Jesus shows us that more is needed than just ceremonial uncleanliness on the outside. The heart 
must be changed. It's not just the Pharisees that had trouble understanding that. We have under tr- trouble understanding. Even President Roosevelt, during the time of World War II, had trouble understanding this. He couldn't understand how uh, the educated, some of whom he was educated with, Germans, could do such evil. In fact, uh, some reported that uh, people didn't even believe the reports they were getting out of Germany because it seemed too uh, fantastic, too remarkable that someone with education, someone with this kind of knowledge could ever do. How could they be doing such demonic work? That is until at a dinner party with a pastor, he was introduced to the work of Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish Lutheran philosopher and and theologian. And there he learned as he shared with his cabinet member, the first female cabinet member, Frances Perkins, that they are human, these Germans, and yet they behave like demons. But now he understands because Kierkegaard gives you an understanding of what it is that makes it possible for these Germans to be so evil. And what was it that Kierkegaard was teaching? It was the biblical understanding of original sin. That our hearts, as Jesus is trying to get at to us today, are corrupt. That there needs to be more than just a cleaning on the outside, but a transformation of our hearts. Kierkegaard explained the biblical view of this original sin, this corruption. And Jesus lets us know that his word isn't just meant to be a wall that protects us, but a light to our feet and to our path to show us what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. And when that light shines on us, we not only learn the first use of the law, that is what is wrong and what uh, we should be protected from and what we shouldn't do. But then we begin to learn the second use of the law that we can't do it. We fail and we're incomplete and therefore we need intervention and transformation. We need Jesus In fact, it's this corrupt heart, not ceremonial uncleanliness, that is separating us from the presence of God. So when you read verses 21 to 23 here in this text today, and you see that list of sinfulness, we dare not ignore it. And we ignore it creatively in different ways, right? We ignore it by dismissing it, saying, oh, that's not true for us in 2024. And we ignore it by thinking that we can keep it. Oh, I'm not on that list. But when you read those verses in 21 to 23, you don't have to hold your breath long to find yourself there, to find where you are corrupt and I'm corrupt. And we need both uses of the law to lead us to the gospel. This is what Jesus is doing here. 
And so as we read this text and begin to understand what he's doing, and we look at this whole chapter, I put this brief outline together to see what he's doing. In the first 13 verses, he gives wisdom uh, to the Pharisees on ceremonial law and what the real use of the law is all about. And then he explains it further and to his disciples who still didn't understand it. What separates us from the presence of God, as we hear in verses 14 to 23, is the origin of evil, not just out there, but in here. Both sides of the wall, there's trouble. And then that word that keeps showing up throughout the gospel of Mark immediately that Mark uses to let us know, hey, pay attention to this. And what does he want us to pay attention to? Two examples, one of which we read today. The first example comes from now modern day Lebanon, the Syrophoenician woman who comes pleading with Jesus for her daughter. Pleading. And we get this really strange conversation from Jesus where he uses these derogatory terms, terms that would have been common and used by the fellow Jews around him of Gentile as they were around the Gentiles there in the Tyre region. Jesus, as he had been, all the way back from his baptism when he was assuming our sin, not that he needed regeneration, but he was assuming our sin to take on the sin of the world for our sake, does something of that here. He uses the language of the world, what the Jews around him would have expected, but then he flips the script because he wasn't surprised by the amazing faith of this woman. The faith expressed by the Syrophoenician reveals that Jesus was preparing to flip the script and bring mercy. I like how Martin Luther, who on the second Sunday of Lent, almost 500 years ago, preaching on this account, said this about it. Simply, he said, Jesus, he's caught. What he means by that is that in this masterful reply to Jesus, she catches Christ with his own words. Christ now completely turns his heart toward her. And now will call her, shockingly, make her a child of Israel and heal her daughter. What does Luther mean by catching him with his own words? Well, he means this, that to understand the actions of this poor woman catches God in his own judgment, his own promise of his word, as if to say that she was saying when she said, yes, I am a dog, I am a sinner, not worthy of grace, but still that has promised sinners forgiveness. Not unlike when Moses changed the mind of God in the Old Testament. He was reminding God of his 
own word. Jesus wasn't surprised. He's come to complete his word. He's come to do just what this woman's faith confessed. To bring mercy. To bring mercy. And so as she catches Jesus, so to speak, as Luther will put it in his own words, she's really coming to receive the word that does everything. And so we, we can expose the truth of our own sin and sins like these because we have a God who we know comes to bring mercy. Mere ritual or building a wall cannot do this. We need Jesus to do this. Ignoring the light upon our hearts that says, oh, that's irrelevant today or uh, I can do all that myself are just two ways, two sides of the same coin trying to save ourselves. Both errors lead us into a mess. What we need is a God who brings us mercy and then gives us a new name. To say a child of Israel is to say a child, as we hear in 1 John 3, a child of God. A child of God is uh, something Jesus proclaims upon all those who repent and turn to him for the forgiveness of sin, just like this woman does in this first example. And he does it just by his word. In the next example, he'll use his word and touch to heal the deaf and mute man. But he does it with his word. So we need the full counsel of God to do this. We need both law and gospel. And so as parents uh, who teach their children, for example, that that four-lane road over there is dangerous. We can't just teach the first use of the law, stay away from it. We also need to teach the full story, right? We need to teach them how to cross the street eventually. And so some mistake we often make is just teaching that first use of the law, that it's wrong or bad. And that's fine, but it's incomplete. We have to teach the second part too that we can't do it on our own, that we need a Savior, that we need Jesus, and that He comes to do just that, to bring mercy. Today, we need to remember that Jesus' words, as David Schmidt will say, literally becomes the word which heals. Healing for this woman's daughter, healing. For her, with a new identity, to, as Luther will say, catch Jesus in his own words, to do exactly what he intended and wanted to do all along. That the crumbs are enough. That he comes to bring us to new life. That we can pray with Luther that, yes, Lord, it's true, I am a sinner and not worthy of grace, but still has promised sinners forgiveness. That he has come to call us children of God. God does this through his saving work. 
when He shines His Word as a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. This is the way that He's calling us to walk. This Lent and all the days ahead, may we hear this call and respond to Him like this woman with faith and repentance and receive newness of life as His Word shines upon us. Amen.